Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question, while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello and welcome to another Out of the Question podcast. This is Charles Roberts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andrea Schwartz. Hello, Andrea. Hello, from California. Yes, indeed. Uh, This is the um, November 9th edition of the podcast, and we are glad to be talking to our listeners again today. And I want to start out by posing the first part of the question, but some context for it. Many of our listeners may be familiar with a famous, uh, I think it was an award-winning movie. If, if not, it's certainly very famous and, and highly regarded. A movie called A Few Good Men, starring Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson and Demi Moore. And um, one of the great lines in that movie during the court-martial trial scene was when the Jack Nicholson character bellows out to Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth. And that's uh, about as good as a Jack Nicholson imitation as I can do. So that's our question for the day. Can you handle the truth? And I'm going to ask Andrea to sort of flesh that out, fill it out, unpack it for us, because obviously there's something behind that. Andrea? Yes. So we normally think of handling. Can you, in that movie, when he said, you can't handle the truth, it's like you can't deal with it. You can't accept it. Basically telling anybody who was listening in that, that you're too weak to be able to deal with reality. That's what he was saying. But there's another way to look at handling the truth. And I'd like to think of it in terms of you learn how to handle a car. You learn, if you're a pilot, you learn how to handle a plane. In other words, you become proficient at doing it. And I would say the question behind our question is that too many professing Christians not only don't want to handle the truth. They, they can't deal with it in the sense that when they start bringing up issues that other people will say, hey, well, I just don't, I just don't discuss religion or politics. So in, in fact, they get silenced because this is an area that they might feel very strongly about, and yet they give in to the idea that they don't want to offend people or they don't want there to be conflict. Well, The scripture tells us that we are rightly to handle the truth. And the truth with a capital T is encompassed in Jesus Christ. And what really got me thinking about this this week is that I had the opportunity to be at a crisis pregnancy center fundraiser on Saturday evening. It's called Real Options, and it's in Santa Clara County, and it has four centers But what made it interesting to me on a number of fronts is that the keynote speaker, her name is Lila Rose, and she's the founder and president of Live Action, which some of our listeners may be aware of. What made it particularly interesting is when Lila was a little girl, she was in homeschool groups that my kids were part of, and she was actually part of my choir. I ran a homeschool choir for a number of years. So here's this young lady who started off in homeschool and who discovered when she was nine or 10 years old, that there was a society that she lived in that was killing babies. And nobody seemed to be all that interested from her point of view to stopping it. And so what started as a, uh, a direct calling that she feels came from God 
young lady grew up uh, somewhere around 15 years old. She started live action with five of her homeschool friends. She ended up going to UCLA where her mother joked that she majored in pro-life when she was at UCLA. She graduated from UCLA. And this is the girl who pioneered a lot of the undercover videos that exposed Planned Parenthood's ignoring sexual trafficking or statutory rape or encouraging young people to lie and not tell their parents. So as I was sitting there watching her talk and I got a chance to say hi to her and she remembered me, I was thinking this girl handled the truth well. What she did was she knew what was true. She knew God's word says you don't commit murder and you don't sanction it as a society. And she focused her efforts on it. Now, I'm not going to say here that everybody should do what Lila Rose has done. God called her to do that. And she honestly feels she answered the call. But what I really appreciate about her, her work, I could call it a ministry, but it's, it's so much more than that. In, in terms of the effects it's having culturally, is that she provides resources to help other believers handle the truth. And that's what I want to get into, some examples today of the resources that she's produced that have helped people, and I think should help people, handle, get really good at taking the truth and then using it in all the circles that you travel in. So that's my question behind the question is, you know, how are we going to be more ready to really get good at handling the truth? So for clarification purposes, Andrea, are we saying then to our listeners that we're talking about how are you going to act? What what action are you going to take in terms of the truth that you are understanding on this particular subject? Is that is that correct? Right. In terms of your responsibility and role in terms of furthering the kingdom of God. So Abortion is the example of this particular group, live action. But if you think about it, it's not enough to have an intellectual assent that says, you know what, I think abortion is wrong. I think God calls us to do more than that. There are plenty of other issues that even the wider culture will say is wrong. Abduction, you know, sexual trafficking, most people will say that's wrong. Well, is it enough to just say it's wrong? Or do we as God's people, the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, work towards reforming and reconstructing all areas on that? And since that's what one of our major issues is, how to equip people to be self-governing and further the kingdom of God, I think it's an important thing to talk about how you handle the truth, how you actually go about and use what you know to further kingdom ends. As perhaps a, a bit of a, another side to this or, or different type of background to, to the topic, I want to introduce the idea about the significance of belief. Now, handling the truth, understanding the truth, and believing the truth, I think are pretty much in the same ballpark. But where I'm going with this is the, the concept of what we know today, we typically think of as believing something. If you tell me that a certain store is at the corner of this street and that street, well, I, I believe you and I go to that store. Uh, or at least, even if I don't go, I'm, I'm believing that you're telling me accurate information. Uh, it may or may not impact me one way or the other. But the, 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 in the realm of belief, in the realm of faith, 
the term believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe, you will be saved, you will be delivered, you will be given new life. Uh, we tend to hear that and think of it, in one sense, as believing certain sorts of propositions about historical facts or doctrinal statements, and there's nothing wrong with that. But some interesting studies have shown over the years that the way the term that we have translated belief in English was used in the, the cultures of the ancient Near East, especially in the time of Jesus, it involved more than simply giving mental or intellectual or academic assent or agreement to a statement of fact. It involved action. It assumed that you not only would believe something propositionally, it assumed that this thing that you are believing is going to impact your life and create a change in your behavior. So I think that you can see that there is an interesting parallel here. And th this area that, that we're focusing on is one that we tend to find uh, older generations of Christians, such as you and I, <laughs> Andrea, uh, people who became followers of Jesus, say, in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, especially in that time frame where abortion became legalized in this country. Uh, and there was a lot of action and discussion about it and, and at that point, but things seem to have sort of settled down. It, it's something that most people, uh, they, like you say, they principally, yes, I'm opposed to it, uh, and yes, maybe I pick, picketed that abortion clinic. But other than that, how are you handling this? And that's the key here, because there seem to be two extremes. Now, I realize there's plenty in between, but there seem to be two extremes. Either you don't talk about it because you want to continue to shine your light wherever you are, and you don't want to bring up controversial subjects. So your plan is to stay away from the stuff that people might disagree with. And then there's the other side of the fence where people will tell others that if you're not in people's faces and you're not basically calling them baby murderers and calling it, you know, don't call it an abortion clinic, call it a baby mill or whatever. And I don't necessarily say that those terms aren't accurate. But the real question is, are you affecting change in either of those extremes? Or is there another way that Christians can effectively handle the truth? And, and succeed because you see nobody wants to go out on a fool's errand that says by the way you're not going to succeed Don't, this isn't going to work and it's all going to get terrible that's not our viewpoint our viewpoint that we will succeed as we rightly handle the word of truth and so I think the uh, example that I'm going to share in a little bit here is just one example of how somebody came up with an idea that I think can basically help other people handle this word of truth. And before we get to that, I, I would just like to give another little bit of background or context. I, I think that one of the curious things that we're seeing in our society, and it directly relates to this issue of abortion, and the, uh, although there may be, we, we all say we're against it if, if we are Bible-believing Christians, the, the lack of horror and abhorrence on a deep, deep level is evident. On the other hand, how many people would rise up in anger, and I mean with their blood boiling, if, say, they see some local story about someone who has, say, been cruel to their pets. You know, this woman, this man have 15 or 20, 30 dogs or cats in their house, and they're starving and all this. People just get outraged over stuff like that, and they want to go right down and do something about it. The interesting context I want to share with this is from Mark's Gospel, Chapter 5, where 
Jesus famously cast the demons out of the insane man who's been wandering the cemeteries, and he sends the demons into the pigs, 2,000 of them who run headlong into the ocean and are drowned. And what's interesting about that is that a lot of people would read that story and think, well, this is terribly cruel. I mean, why? They're just innocent pigs, even if they are pigs. You know, why send them over the cliff to drown? But what's missing there is the perspective that here is a man who's being tormented day and night, and the point Jesus is making there, or at least the, the story is making, is that one human life is worth more than 2,000 pigs. And uh, the, the abhorrence or the anger that some people would generate at that story shows that, as Proverbs 8 says, we are in love with death because we hate God's wisdom. And so because we are a culture of death, we're more concerned about cruelty to animals than the horrible things that go on in abortion clinics. And just to, to key off that, I, I'm sure you've seen the commercials where they have the pictures of the abused animals that they might be burned or they might be malnourished. And these are not short 30-second commercials. These are almost infomercials, not really because they're not like half an hour long, but they're more like two or three minutes. And you hear the, 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 the moving emotional music and you have some sort of celebrity who's going to you know, encourage you to donate money. Well, we both know that if somebody wanted to do a commercial showing pictures of aborted children, they would never be accepted on television. And so your point is well taken. We have gotten to the point where we're more concerned with somebody who is cruel to animals than we are in terms of this cruelty to children. I think, I think too, uh, in terms of handling the truth, the whole idea of truth has become distorted. Uh, I'm always struck by the fact that, say, when I go to uh, a local bookstore, a chain store, and you see all these books out written by, so you know, it, it, whether, whether it's a Bill O'Reilly or a Rush Limbaugh or a, whoever they are. And the reality is most of these people don't write these books. There's an army of ghostwriters who write most of these things. So you have this distortion of reality on all kinds of levels. And so we have this same thing in the issue of abortion. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a word, but we don't want to face the hideous, gut-wrenching reality of what actually takes place. So we sanitize it, you know, in terms of the loss of human life uh, in war. We no longer call it civilian casualties. It's collateral damage. Right. You know, that, that, that's a much nicer sounding term. And, and they are the equivalents in the abortion industry as well. And one of the things that's interesting is if you look at the demographics, more young people are concerned about the issue of abortion than maybe some of their older relatives who principally were against it, but somehow or other gave up or looked like they gave up in terms of there's anything you could do about it. Like, how would you really change people's minds? And that's one of the things that Lila's group, Live Action, has done that I think is absolutely brilliant. As I was hearing her show their latest efforts, because first they did undercover things and they showed people how Planned Parenthood was deceiving their clients, deceiving the public. And so the drive was, we should defund Planned Parenthood. Well, that's true and we should. But They've taken it one step further in terms of how to affect rank-and-file people. And I really encourage our listeners to go to YouTube, look up live action, and find the videos 
that are a series of explanations and interviews with a doctor, an obstetrician gynecologist, who in his early career did 1,200 abortions. And he gives his story in terms of how he could do it, what changed his mind, and how long it took him to stop doing the abortions. That's an interesting story, but that's not the part that I thought was brilliant. What I thought was brilliant was that live action had this doctor, and I believe he has actually testified in front of Congress, where they have these animations that describe all the different ways children are killed in the womb. Starts off with chemical abortions, surgical abortions, first trimester abortions, second trimester abortions, third trimester abortions. And it actually shows, as he's describing it, because he did it, how it's done. And Charles watched it. I've watched it. I know a lot of other people. And even those of us who understand or thought we understood abortion, there's a reaction again when you look at it, when you realize this is not only happening once, it's happening over and over again. Well, what live action does is it gets an iPad or some sort of tablet, and they go on college campuses and they ask people, are you pro-choice or pro-life? And at least the ones they show in their videos, and you can see some of them, say, we're pro-choice. And it's okay, tell you what, would you put some headphones on and watch this? And tell me if you've changed your mind. And now you watch people watching these same videos and you see the look of horror on their face. They've never seen or really understood what happens in an abortion. All a lot of young people know is they were born into a world that abortion was legal and this is what we do. And gee, women have hard luck stories. But at least in the ones they show in the video, and I imagine there would be others who said, I don't care that somebody's dying. You see people saying, this is wrong. So what they've done is they've given people a way to handle the truth. And so I've decided, not that I'm going to go around to everybody I know, but when the subject comes up, and I can bring a subject up, and I have relatives who will call themselves pro-choice, I say, you know what, would you just do me a favor? Would you watch this and tell me if your ideas change on this? And so Instead of retreating, we're using a tool that helps us get the truth out. And that's consistent with the scripture that says, have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, but expose them. And so we're exposing it, and now we've got a really good way to help on a one-on-one -on -one basis people change their minds. I think part of the, uh, the uphill battle that we have faced on this topic, coming off the initial uh, surge of anger and activism, say from the, the 1980s, on the subject of abortion and trying to get it stopped and the various methods of overturning Roe versus, versus Wade, is we have on the one hand uh, a, a large population of people who would be considered broadly evangelical Christians who would have some, at least in name, concern for a quote-unquote biblical morality that would give them a right understanding of the evil of abortion who have been educated in government school systems to sort of undercut that worldview on the one hand. But then on the other side, we have many, many churches who, again, would be considered conservative, evangelical, traditional churches. I'm thinking mainly of Protestant evangelical churches and Reformed churches. 
who, uh, although they understand, say, for example, that the Ten Commandments apply to individuals, they're not so sure how those commandments apply to the state or to governments or to institutions. And so we have this sort of idea that the mission of the church is purely spiritual. It's not the business of the church or its leaders, whether it be an elder, a deacon, a pastor, a bishop, or whoever, to you know, speak the truth to power, to borrow a phrase, and just get as many people saved and pulled out of the, the burning fire, and let's all head to heaven when the time comes. And that, as I think we have seen, all these things have been a prescription for the, the place where we are now. I think probably at some point this will become a mute issue, even though we, we must continue to focus on it for now, because we're finding that many, many parts of the population of uh, formerly Christian Europe and North America, the fertility rates are declining. People are just simply not reproducing themselves. And this, with the drive toward artificial intelligence and robotics, we're moving toward a, a brave new world, quote-unquote, based on the novel, where the birth of human beings will be something that will be scientifically controlled if these people have their way. Now, of course, we know God is sovereign and will intervene. But in the meantime, we have this other nasty, evil problem of the murder of infants in the womb and how we can deal with that. And what you have suggested and what Lila has been doing is one way, one little bit at a time, one person at a time, one woman at a time, one father at a time, recognizing what in the world am I about to do or have I done and how can we prevent this from ongoing? And just to clarify and expand on what you said, obviously there is incredible tension in our society. The whole Supreme Court nomination procedure has to do with whether or not this holy right of abortion could possibly be curtailed on a federal level. And some people say we're headed for a civil war. Well, if you know anything about history, America's first civil war didn't end up very well for America. A lot of people died. And America solved their problem. I didn't really solve it, but apparently solved their problem in a way that other countries said we don't have to go to war over to do it. Um, if you know anything about William Wilberforce in, in, in Great Britain. Yes. The yes. point is, rather than only posit that we have to shoot at each other and make all these fights on the federal level, who's going to be on the Supreme Court, who's the president, who, if we go about changing people's hearts and minds, then from the bottom up, society will change. And it might not be in the next 10 years, but 20, 30 years from now, at least these young people that I talk to who are committed to this, they actually see the victory. They're not going around going, oh, we'll never win. We'll be lucky if we lose kind of thing. No, they're really positing a way to win. And they're using the tools. They're using technology. They're using stuff they grew up with in order to go ahead and affect change. Now, like I said, they're not easy to watch these videos, but one thing struck me, and this is something I didn't know until I watched the video. Anybody who is aware of the chemical abortion known as RU486, right. that's a pill you're given, and what it does is it drains the body of progesterone, which is the hormone that keeps the baby attached in the womb. Well, by God's grace... 
something that was used to help women who continually had miscarriages, if a woman knows that she's taken this first dose of this medication, that she actually can reverse the process. And at this event on Saturday evening, in our county, 11 times this year, women who had started the process of having an abortion chemically were able to reverse it, and we got to see their children. When they called up Planned Parenthood and said, I changed my mind, Planned Parenthood told them, well, there's nothing you can do about it. And as a matter of fact, if you continue with this pregnancy, your baby will likely be deformed. Well, by God's grace, at least 11 of them decided they were going to look further, and they found out the truth. But let's say somebody goes along with this chemical abortion. What most people don't realize is that the woman then goes home, she goes into labor, she delivers the baby in the toilet and flushes it. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have groundwater that is affected by human remains. When somebody dies, we put them in a casket or we burn their remains. These children are being flushed down the toilet. And all it made me think of, Charles, was that when God basically makes the commentary that the blood of Abel cried out. Well, we actually have it in our soil. We actually have it. And they're being told, just go home, and, you know, and you'll go into labor. And a lot of these women are doing it all by themselves, and they don't have the quote-unquote help of these kind people who are going to help them deal with their problems. So just the thought of human remains being disposed of that way. And, you know, the Gosnell movie that was very controversial that gave the account of the abortion doctor who had totally unsanitary conditions and was actually storing baby parts in his clinic. These are the kinds of things when they get exposed, you got to say, what kind of person isn't going to be affected by that and say, oh, well, we still have to have this right. I think those people is how we identify the reprobate. Those are the reprobate. Those are people who there's no light in them if they can see all this evidence and then decide it doesn't matter. The things that you've described are are just so horrible and so hard to contemplate that if you had told people a hundred years ago that this is the way things would be in these United States, they would throw their arms up in, in absolute disbelief. But listen, I mean, we know that throughout history of, we'll just say, Western civilization, there have been times of of terrible, terrible things happening. I mean, our earliest brothers and sisters in Christ faced a domineering Roman Empire that was as pagan or worse as our current American empire, Uh, and abortion was common in in ancient Roman times, maybe not even as savage as it is now. But the, the point is, is that Christians found a way to work around the adverse circumstances, but the thing that began to change was the fact that more and more people were governing themselves according to the basic, the basic teachings of God's law and God's word. And the, the brothels, the saloons, the, uh, the heroin dens, the abortion clinics, all these things go out of business if there's nobody there to pay for the services. And there won't be anybody there to pay for the services once people come to understand who they are in terms of God and their accountability to him, and they will have no desire to, first of all, put themselves in the place where they would, quote-unquote, need an abortion, 
Uh, but then if they do find themselves with a so-called unwanted pregnancy, it would not even enter the mind as a possibility that this would be one of several options. But that's where we have come in this society. It, it seems particularly awful to us uh, because we didn't live in ancient Rome. We didn't, leave, didn't live in pre-Christian Europe under the, the Druids and where human sacrifice was common. But yet it's interesting that the, the TV shows and the movies that we see that glorify and zombies and death and carnage and destruction, these are sort of art mirroring, mirroring life or vice versa. I'm not sure which of the two it is. But we have moved into a very challenging time. And so it is incumbent upon us to, as we said at the beginning, handle the truth in a way that is making a difference for God's kingdom. No, we, we can't expect to see overnight results, but we start with one person at a time uh, and move forward from there and continue to encourage others to do the same thing. Let me add that we want to be not guilty of underestimating the power of God. Yes, realistically speaking, we shouldn't expect to change overnight. Although sometimes in history, God has used very, very big events that actually have changed the landscape overnight. And so the faithfulness that we're called to starts off with obeying God's law. And it strikes me that when James talks about pure religion undefiled, it has to do with widows and orphans in their distress. Well, Maybe, just maybe, not every woman who goes in for an abortion could be counted as a widow, but chances are she has a man who's not willing to step up to the plate and now take responsibility. But certainly those children are fatherless who either are on their way to be aborted and turn around or actually die. And I think churches by and large, but I'm not talking about institutional church, I'm talking about the church, the people of God. Go to your crisis or your local pregnancy resource center and just let the people know that you're willing to befriend someone who's come to them, has made the choice not to go ahead and abort, and that you're willing to establish a friendship and a support network, even somebody who just calls them up regularly, somebody who might, you know, if they're in your neck of the woods, you can drive them places. We did that as a family years ago. We called it Friends for Life, and what we did was the local center did put us in touch with people, and three of those times, I was able to be a labor coach for the women who had you know, been sent to me, because they don't often have a support structure. That's why they consider abortion an unpleasant but a viable option, and I think the more we incorporate people who are making the correct decision not to kill into our families and then and into a community of believers, what we're going to see is that we're going to grow the church in the same way as you know, Charles. The church grew because in the first century, people noticed, look what these folks are doing. They're taking the partially unsuccessfully aborted children, making sure that the wild dogs don't eat them, and then actually bring them to various families and say, raise these children in the nurture and admission of the Lord. So I honestly think that on two fronts, exposing what abortion really is, and then reaching out to those who've made the good decision not to go ahead and abort, we can see a growth that is a functional growth, that we're not just 
putting a Band-Aid on something that were affecting this woman and her child for generations because there was a support structure that came in and said, let's, let, let's explain to you why we even wanted to help you in the first place. Yeah, that is an excellent point. Uh, I repeat what I said some time ago, quoting Mark Rustuni in an interview that he did about why his father was post-millennial, hopeful in his outlook for the future. He said, not because of what he saw in man, but because of what he saw in God. And I think that if we can handle the truth in the sense of recognizing that by doing the sort of things you just described, yes, it's nice to feel good that you're doing something to stop someone from killing their unborn child, but it is a much larger, it is a small plank in a much larger um, project of extending God's kingdom and um, assaulting the, the gates of hell, which is what God has charged us with doing. And uh, so until we can get more and more Christians to understand that it, it is a, a part of a larger mission that we have of bringing the nations under the discipleship yoke of Christ the King, this is one step in, in doing that very, very thing. I'm so excited because as you see young people like Lila, and, and there, I could give you lots of other examples as well, people who were raised in the faith, they were homeschooled by and large, but were actually applying their faith to what they do now as adults, that you see that the education is such an important part. It's a lot better not to have to undo something. Now, by the way, did you know that abortion is murder as opposed to letting your children know? And one of the things that was sad for me is how few young people, and I mean young people, I mean those under the age of 14 were at this event. My son brought his children and they're all under the age of 12 years old. And some people would say, oh, this is kind of heavy for kids. Well, let's just not forget that when this young lady I'm referencing found a book that showed pictures of what was happening, God triggered in her part of why he created her to do this kind of work. And I think the more we inspire our children to know the realities, it's important for kids to know that every single day, that there are people who, just like them, at one point were in the womb, are being killed, and that you have a system and a society that says, you better not tell us we can't do this. This is the kind of way you prepare warriors. They have to know that there's a war going on. We started this podcast with a quote from the movie with the Jack Nicholson character in response to uh, the demand, I want the truth, you can't handle the truth. We sort of tied this back in an indirect way to God's word in 2 Timothy 2.15, where in the King James it says, rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, one translation, the New Jerusalem Bible, has an interesting way of translating it. It says, but he who keeps the message of truth on a straight path. And I think this is in keeping with what we've been talking about. Keeping the message of truth on a straight path implies that this is a direction that we walk. It involves action. It involves forward motion. And the, the path that we want to follow, both in terms of ourselves, our children, and those around us, is uh, getting them motivated to take these kind of actions, one person at a time, one video at a time, uh, to understand that we have a responsibility uh, in the larger picture of things, and, and God is waiting on us uh, to get the job done. I hope this encourages people. I know just even talking about it encourages me. 
Well, in uh, wrapping things up, I would like to recommend a resource, uh, and uh, you've already referred to some videos, and maybe you want to refer to those again, but um, this is in in a more general way. The Chalcedon Foundation recently published um, a book by R.J. Rushdoony called Faith and Wellness, Resisting the State Control of Healthcare by Restoring the Priestly Calling of Doctors, and abortion, euthanasia, socialized healthcare, all topics that are addressed by Dr. Rushdoony in this book. And there's several significant areas where he discusses the topic of abortion. So uh, if our listeners have never uh, obtained that, that book, I would encourage them to do so. Excellent. And then, like I said, go to YouTube and look up live action, and you'll see that there's a series of videos. And the ones that I was highlighting, I mean, you can watch all of them, of course, is the one where a Dr. Anthony Levitino, the former abortionist, describes the procedure, and then gives his testimony in terms of what caused him to go from someone who was killing children for a living, he did other things as well, but part of it was killing children for a living, to now being in the front lines. Because don't think he didn't end up making some very significant enemies, just like the Apostle Paul made some very significant enemies when he changed course and changed sides. Well, thank you very much, Andrea, for talking about this topic today. We hope our listeners have gained some understanding and will indeed consider how they handle the truth uh, on this and all other matters relating to God and life and his law. So until our next Out of the Question podcast, thank you, Andrea. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit www dot kingdom driven family dot com